to the Landscape Ontario podcast. I'm Scott Barber. Thanks so much for listening. On this episode, we are talking chainsaw safety with Todd Fritzley. Todd is an arborist with the Grand River Conservation Authority, and he's also the owner of BPF Safety and Consulting. Todd has over 15 years experience in forestry and arboriculture, and he's going to dive into the laws and regulations that govern chainsaw use in the workplace, as well as some of the main hazards and most common chainsaw injuries, and finally, why PPE and training are so important. That is coming up next. The Horticulture Technician Apprenticeship Program is a post-secondary education and skills development program recognized as a Red Seal trade in Canada. It's aimed at employers who have employees who want to make horticulture and landscaping their career. Earn while you learn. Attend an info session to know more at horticulturetechnician.ca slash events. So Todd, could you tell us uh, about yourself and what you do? Uh, well, I've been a, um, I've been involved in the, both the forestry and tree care industry. Uh, oh, geez. I mean, I, um, I started off by going to school at Sir Sanford Fleming. I graduated from the forestry technician program there in, uh, that would have been 2006. Um, and, uh, no, I'm sorry, that would be 2005. And then I returned for another year uh, to take uh, urban forestry uh, and arboriculture and um, finished that program up uh, in uh, 2006. So, you know, a total of three years at Fleming as a student, um, you know, and that's kind of where I got my start, uh, at least from a, um, you know, summer work experience point of view, um, you know, doing summer contract work, uh, uh, that sort of thing. And, um, you know, sort of started off my career more in the uh, forestry end of things. Um, I, uh, did a few seasons of wildland firefighting with the, um, uh, with the OMNR out of the Sudbury district and then, uh, moved on at West Alberta to do a season out there. And, um, that's, uh, that's where I got my, um, my introduction, you know, to the world of, uh, you know, hands-on uh, uh, forestry work. And then um, I sort of started looking at, uh, you know, forestry and trees in general, sort of more on an individual basis. And that's when I really started to take an interest in more of the tree care and, and arboriculture side of things. Um, but uh, I've always wanted to work outside, um, you know, and uh, I was just naturally drawn to, um, to the forestry and tree care industries. So, um, you know, it wasn't long before I sort of changed thinking a little bit and, uh, you know, kind of got tired of sleeping in a swamp. And, uh, you know, so I really started to take an interest in tree care and um, sort of started, uh, you know, started ru uh, uh, running with that. And um, once I was done school, you know, I, I got involved uh, right out of the gate with a small scale tree care company. And, um was there for about a year, uh, learned a lot. And, um, then I uh, took an opportunity with the, uh, as an arborist with the, uh, Grand River Conservation Authority, which is uh, where I actually still reside today for work. Um, and geez, that would have been 07, 08. Um, you know, been there ever since. And, um, it was, uh, in 2017, um, I decided uh, to 
sort of uh, start my own little thing on the side, if you will, um, as a uh, as a teacher, as a as a, a safety instructor for um, for the forestry and arboriculture industry. And uh, my my pri my primary focus is uh, chainsaw use. So chainsaw safety, uh, uh, tree cutting safety. Um, that's what uh, that's what I specialize in. And you know, I always uh, I always had sort of a knack for teaching, and I've always wanted to. Uh, um, wanted to teach and show people how to, you know, do their jobs safer, more efficiently. And um, I kind of felt like I was at a point in my career as well, where, you know, I had been this, I've been in this, you know, this game long enough where, you know, I really felt that I could, uh, you know, pass what I know on to others. Um, and uh, yeah, so yeah, it's been, uh, it's been quite a journey. I mean, like I said, since roughly, you know, uh, uh, 2006, um, till now, I'm an ISA certified arborist, um, an ISA certified uh, tree risk assessor. Um, I actually, um, in 2014, I completed a uh, um, an online uh, certificate program with the University of Guelph uh, for the uh, for uh, environmental conservation. So, you know, I wanted to get a little bit of uh, university uh, credentials under my belt as well, and. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's been uh, it's been a really interesting ride. I've been I've been very fortunate to, um, in my opinion, literally work with um, um, the best in the business, at least from an Ontario perspective. Um, and I was actually very fortunate to work with these types of people uh, very early on in my career as well, uh, which I think was a big help. Um, so uh, I wasn't in the industry too long before, you know, I started working with these certain individuals and I learned right away just how incorrectly I was doing things. Um, so I've been fortunate to be corrected on a lot of things and, uh, you know, taught, uh, taught the right way, if you will. So, and again, especially when it comes to uh, chain, uh, chainsaws and tree cutting uh, safety uh, on the job, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, so my business, uh, BPF Safety and Consulting, uh, that's what I specialized in, again, is chainsaw safety. Uh, we started up, uh, made everything official, you know, in 2017, and um, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a great experience so far. Um, you know, probably the coolest thing about, uh, about that aspect of my career, if you will, is um, um, all the different industries I get to work with. Um, and actually um, the biggest one being uh, landscapers. They're probably my number one area of clientele. And I've worked with landscapers all over the province. And, um, and I've been fortunate to work with you folks at Landscape Ontario, doing some courses for you guys. And uh, yeah, just all the different industries I get to work with, all the different people I get to meet. Um, I am uh, a full service, you know, traveling outfit, if you will. So, you know, I have a I have a local site where I put on courses near Guelph here where I live, but again, I can also bring the program to the client, so I'm able to stay mobile and um, you know I'm a full service operation. Um, equipment, materials, everything is provided. So um, yeah, um, yeah, it's been uh, when I think when I think back to whatever it is, you know, 15 plus years or so, whatever it is, it. Uh, um, it's gone by in a flash for sure, but um, mm -hmm. that's uh, that's sort of myself, I guess, in a in a nutshell. Sure. Yeah. No. <laughs> I appreciate what it. I do. 
No, it sounds yeah. like it's been a it's been a great career so far. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about what you do with the the conservation authority? Like, what does a a typical day or week or month look like? In right. That? Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm part I'm part of a um, a tree management crew um, for uh, for the watershed um, and uh, more of the watershed than really anybody else. Um, in the company really, uh, we're all over the place. Um, so the bulk of what I do and what we do in our department is, um, we handle and mitigate all of the hazard tree risk in the watershed. So we target a lot of the, um, sort of more, um, you know, sensitive and high traffic areas when it comes to, you know, public safety. So for example, uh, we do a lot of work on, um, like we have a lot of uh, parks and, and campgrounds throughout the, um, throughout the watershed. So we manage any ha- uh, any of the hazard trees throughout our parks, um, our trail systems as well. And uh, we also have uh, uh, cottage lots on both Bellwood and Conestoga Lake. I don't know if you're uh, familiar with those two lakes, but uh, we have a, um, a series of cottages around both lakes um, that um, we're in charge of the, um, um, the hazard tree, uh, uh, tree work on those uh, lots as well. So uh, yeah, we get to travel around a lot. We work in a lot of different areas of the watershed, but yeah, the bulk of what I do uh, is um, hazard tree mitigate, uh, or, uh, mitigation on the on GRCA lands. So as you can imagine, um, and still ongoing, you know, the bulk of that over the majority of my career there has been uh, the uh, the ash borer. Um, you know, removing a lot of the um, dead and declining ash trees, but. Um, Yes, and uh, I'm all, I also get involved a little bit uh, in the spring uh, spring season with uh, with the planting projects, the planting season. So sometimes that's a little uh, that's a nice little bit of a change of gears, if you will, and get involved with uh, you know um, working with the public and you know putting trees into the ground. And um, I also um, along myself along with our professional forester, uh, we're in charge of the. Um, uh, the injection program for um, ash trees uh, on GRCA lands. So um, uh, myself and that individual, you know, we're certified to uh, to um, uh, uh, sorry apply the um, insecticide treeism uh, to the ash trees that we have chosen to try and preserve and save. So um, that's a program that I'm heavily involved with uh, as well. So uh, we have uh, a select number of ash trees in different areas of the watershed, both in our parks, trail systems, and our cottage lots that we are currently treating to, uh, you know, help keep alive. And, um, you know, whether it be for future seed sources or just, you know, just in general, it'd still be nice to have some ash trees around because, uh, as you know, they're, uh, they're getting fewer and fewer every day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so uh yeah, that's um, those are sort of you know the the um, the key areas of what I do with the conservation authority as an arborist. Um, you know, uh, we're all involved with keeping our uh, GIS system up to date. So we actually have a GIS system that we work with, where we actually track all of the hazard trees, all of the injected ash trees, and what have you throughout the entire watershed. So we can pull up the watershed shed up on a map and. Uh, any tree that we have worked on or are currently working on or preserving, et cetera, we all keep track of on a GIS map system, which is kind of cool. So, um, you know, we get involved with a little bit of uh, um, inventory work, if you will, of sure. tracking all 
the trees. Yeah. Nice. Nice. That's yeah. Great. Uh, let me go back to, um, you know, your, your work with the, um, you know, safety and chainsaw safety yeah. and ask you about, you know, what are some of the regulations and laws that, that govern chainsaw use in the workplace? Well, first off, that's probably one of the most confusing things for many industries and employers when it comes to chainsaw use um, in the workplace. Uh, first off, there's still a lot of people out there that don't even realize that there actually are laws and regulations when it comes to using a chainsaw on the job. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's a little, it can be a little bit of a touchy subject, Um you know, again, a lot of people are, are still oblivious to it. And even though maybe there are some folks out there that uh, um, are at least even a little bit aware of it, you know, unfortunately, it still goes um, ignored, um, you know, which uh, from a safety standpoint, obviously, is, uh, is uh, not a good thing. So, um when it comes to the laws and regulations that are out there, um, where you can uh, where you can find them is within the Occupational Health and Safety Act, or what we most commonly call the Green Book. So there's a couple sections of the Occupational Health and Safety Act where you can find um, regulations uh, in regards to chainsaw use. And um, I guess when it comes to uh, uh, landscapers, um, the two areas where you're going to find um, those regulations are under the industrial establishments uh, as well as construction. So depending on what um, your landscaping company is, uh, you know, the type of job task they're performing or whatever type of project they're on, that can sort of determine um, if a chainsaw does come into play on that job site, depending on what they're doing um, should there be an accident, it'll, it could vary sort of, um, where, what, what regulations will be put in place to enforce that, um, the use of that tool. Um, so for example, I guess if you're a landscaper, you know, doing, uh, something more on the construction side of things, whether that would be, you know, some fence work, maybe you're cutting fence posts to size, you're using a chainsaw, that sort of thing. Uh, should there be an accident, you know, you could be, um, that's where maybe the, um, the construction side of things would come into play. Uh, you know, whereas if you're, you know, removing a small amount of trees uh, on a lot or shrubs or that sort of thing to open up some space or whatever the case may be, and, you know, uh, uh, should an accident uh, follow um, those sorts of work practices, then maybe you'd be thrown more into the industrial side of things. So it's kind of, uh, it can be kind of confusing um to some and uh that's you know I, I i i do wish the ministry would uh would do a better job of you know making things just a little bit more uh clear i guess you could say uh, um because where a lot of the confusion comes in is that you know you have industries that don't use chainsaws like hardly at all, or even on a regular basis by any stretch. So they often feel like they don't fall under, um, you know, some of these areas of uh, some of these areas of the uh, of the Occupational Health and Safety Act. So it's just like you know, you could have a landscaping company, you know, removing a small amount of trees to um, open up space to put a deck in on the back of a house or something like that, and then there's an accident. 
and then an investigation ensues. Um, and, you know, now they're being charged, say, under the industrial establishments or even the logging regs. It's like, well, we're not a logging company or a landscaping company. But yeah, but the job you're performing at that time could be uh, could be classified as more of a logging type operation, which is found under those industrial establishments. So, um, I mean, I hope I'm being as clear as possible here, but uh, as you can see, it, it can be quite confusing for a lot of individuals sometimes. And, you know, obviously at the end of the day, the, the number one goal is we don't want people, uh, we want everyone to go home at night, uh, you know, intact to their loved ones. And um, so, I mean, safety is, uh, is, is, is paramount, but it, it, it can be difficult to uh, put those proper safety measures in place when, you know, often when there's, uh, when there's confusion around, okay, well, you know, it's what it is what we're doing classified as this or as that it's uh, yeah, it's unfortunately chainsaw use in the workplace when it comes to the law is um, I've always sort of described it as a gray area, if you will, where unfortunately it often doesn't come into play until there actually is an accident, which is unfortunate, right? Yeah. So, uh, depending on the industry, um, you know, chainsaw uh, certification and, you know, proof of competency and training, that sort of thing, depending on the, uh, the industry, whether that would be, uh, like I mentioned, logging um, or, you know, my industry as tree care workers, um, you know, having a chainsaw, having proper chainsaw training and, and, and credentials is, you know, sort of a no brainer and it's expected. Whereas folks like yourselves in the landscaping industry, um, you know, it can, it's, it's a little bit more of a gray area, right? And often it's not enforced until it's too late and there's already been an accident. Right. And then, you know, there's an investigation, someone shows up on site um, um, to, uh, you know, questions start getting asked, you know, where's their proof of training, their certification, et cetera. And everyone's kind of standing around scratching their heads. So, um, you know, but at the end of the day, of course, you know, ignorance isn't an excuse either. So it's just, it's important to know, um, all these trades out there, including landscapers that, you know, they need to be aware that, um, um, the laws and regulations in regards to chainsaw use, they are there, they are found within the Occupational Health and Safety Act, and it is in their best interest to, um, uh, to read up on those and, and, and know, know what's what and know what's uh, what's required. So yeah, a lot of confusion, unfortunately. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, like I said, it, it uh, for, for a lot of people, it tends to be a gray area. Um, and uh, I just think, I just think sometimes a lot of, a lot of businesses would be better off if, um, if things were a little bit more um, clear and easier to understand in terms of like, like to give you another example, like, I mean, within most industries, especially in the trades, like everyone knows you need first aid. Everyone knows you need working at heights, et cetera. But a chainsaw is one of those things that kind of gets put on the back burner, if you will, right? It's just like, well, if you're a company that's, you know, pulling out a chainsaw half a dozen times or less a year, it's probably not something you tend to think about in terms of having proof of training and competency, right? So, um, you know, I guess look at it as not even as a, um, um, a safety standpoint to keep your workers, 
you know, um, health and safety in check, but also, you know, from a legal standpoint, if you want to avoid any, uh, you know, hefty fines and, or warnings or uh, charges, whatever the case may be, um, you know, if, 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 if chainsaws are getting used um, within, uh, within your business, within your company, then it's definitely something you need to look into in, in having the proper documentation in place. So for sure, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I appreciate that, that overview. I think it's really helpful. Um, right. how, how common are chainsaw injuries? Uh, they're more common than you think. Um, and that's another thing with a lot of workplace accidents, again, especially in the trades is, um, they're more common than you think. And then just a, a lot of accidents in general tend to get swept under the rug. Um, you know, because, uh, they don't want to, you know, the, the, they don't want the ministry getting involved or whatever, but, um, yeah, this, it, it's the, 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 bottom line is, and this is what I tell my, uh, this is what I tell my students and basically how I open every training course I do is I open with the statement, basically telling them that this literally is the most dangerous power tool you will put in your hands. And, um, the first step in, in preventing an incident while using that machine is thoroughly understanding how it works. And um, so, you know, until you can really wrap your head around that, um, it's, uh, it, you know, it, it's very easy to become, uh, uh, to become in, uh, sorry, injured from a chainsaw. So, um, yeah, they are more common than you think. Um, you know, unfortunately, the stuff that you do come across or do hear about is the stuff that only makes the media. Um, but, uh, you know, don't be fooled. There's, uh, there's, there's thousands of incidents happening out there, whether they're more on the minor side, uh, or, you know, something that where somebody ends up in emerge. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot of incidents going on out there that, uh, that, that go unheard of. And, um, whether it's employers, not, uh, not properly documenting or reporting them or whatever, but um, people need to realize as well that um, when there is an incident, um, unfortunately when it comes to incidents and accidents, like I understand like as human beings, I mean, it can be something that is, you know, embarrassing, something that we may tend to not want other people to know about that sort of thing. I mean, I think that's just, uh, those are just natural feelings to have, but, on the flip side of that, and we were taught this um, when I was in school, um, when I was in arborist school, was um, making these incidents, um, you're using these incidents as an education tool, whether that would be for fellow tree workers or landscapers or otherwise. Um, I think it's important that, uh, I mean, we obviously don't want to give away intimate details about people's information and who they are and that sort of thing. But if we can just sort of generally summarize how these accidents are happening, why they're happening, the types of workers they're happening to. I think it's important to make that information more public just for the simple reason of just making fellow workers more uh, aware and to, you know, maybe give them something to think about when, you know, they pick up that chainsaw and they go to start cutting up this giant oak that fell on the side of a house. It's like, you know what, you know, maybe that's something that's just completely out of your wheelhouse and, you know, it might make them think about, you know, what happened to that other guy or, or, or woman or whatever. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, 
I don't, I don't view it as, as so much as something that uh, people need to be ashamed of. I think if we can, if we can learn from these incidents and help and help decipher and explain why they're happening and how they're happening, yeah. I think in the long run, I think that's going to prevent more of those incidents from happening um, in the long run. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, what, what are sort of the main hazards? Um, what, what, what are some of the most common things that you, you see or hear about? Uh, well, probably one of, the, probably one of the, the most common like hazard in chainsaw operation in terms of the machine itself is rotational kickback. I don't know if you're aware of that. But, um, you know, going back to what I said before and having a good solid understanding of what that machine is doing when that chain makes contact with the material. And this is what I tell my students. This is what I teach my students. Like until you, uh, until you can wrap your head around that, um, I believe that's the first step in uh, protecting yourself from that piece of equipment. It's not your PPE, you know, uh, all that stuff is important and we, you know, we can get into that. But um, if you understand how that machine works and what it's actually doing when it co makes contact with the material, um, that will just, uh, that will make you um, just a lot more aware and prepare yourself better for uh, an incident such as a rotational kickback. So, um, you know, there's four reaction zones of, uh, of, the, of the chainsaw bar where the chain is spinning around uh, the guide bar. And we teach a system called push, pull, no go. And we basically, we take that bar and chain and we break it up into four different uh, sections um, of reactional forces. So, we know we can cut with the top part of the bar. We know we can cut with the bottom part of the bar. But where we need to take, uh, uh, or where we need to pay close attention, is the um, um, the, uh, the bar nose tip, the sprocket tip at the end of the bar, where that chain is going around that bar nose. And we divide that section of the uh, of of the bar into what we call the no and the go, which is essentially the top quadrant and the bottom quadrant. And it's that top quadrant that we call the no zone or the kickback zone is where, what we want to be aware of. And that's where the chain uh, makes its rotation around the, uh, the top quadrant of that bar nose. Should that make contact with the material or in this case, the tree, the wood or whatever it is we're cutting, um, that's what causes the rotational kickback. So, um, Forgive me. This is very difficult to explain without actually showing you like docu or like 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 diagrams. But just sort of you know uh, the gist of it is you know we need to uh, as operators with rotational kickback we need to you know constantly be constantly be aware of what uh, wh where that bar tip is when we're making our cuts, especially if you know if we're dealing with piles of branches and trees, you know whether it's storm damage or uh, that sort of thing, right? So. Um, yeah, when it comes to the actual machine itself, uh, definitely rotational kickback is uh, uh, plays a big role in um, uh, in in the incidents uh, and the accidents and what have you that are occurring out there. And uh, just quickly, you know, with uh, again a little bit further with the actual saw itself is, um, I mean, chainsaws uh, today, uh, like a, a modern saw today, you know, these machines have never been lighter, more ergonomically uh, uh, friendly, you know, than ever before. Um, you know, the saws we use today um, are a lot more efficient and more uh, 
um, nicer to use than say a chainsaw from like, you know, 30 plus years ago, 30, 40 years ago, whatever, um, whatever the case may be. So, but what I, what I'm getting at is, uh, one of the number one causes for lost time in the workplace with chainsaw use as well is musculoskeletal disorders. So sprains, strains, um, you know, um, you know, overuse of certain parts of the body, that sort of thing. Right. So, uh, what I what what I always tell my students in the courses as well when we're talking about different sizes of chainsaws is, you know, bigger isn't always better. You don't need to carry around you know that big you know, seventy plus cc chainsaw all day long, right? So, um, it, especially if you're someone uh, uh, someone unlike myself, like like I mean, I, I, there's a saw in my hands almost every day. But someone say, and at landscapers are, are a great example where, um, you know, you guys use them so infrequently, um, you know, a morning of chainsaw use, you know, you're swinging around a tool that you're not used to using. I mean, you're going to become tired and fatigued quite quickly and quite easily. And operators need to be aware of that too, because when you get tired, you get complacent, you get lazy. And that's when the saw tends to remind you that, um, you know, that's often where, where accidents happen as well. So that's another thing that a lot of, um, especially part-time operators need to keep in mind is, yeah, these saws are lighter, more user-friendly than ever before. But at the end of the day, if you're not used to using them, they really do wear on you. And, um, you know, those musculoskeletal, uh, sorry, I have trouble saying that word, muscular, muscular skeletal disorders um, really tend to uh, come into play. Um, and again, uh, there's a lot of lost time among workers out there. I mean, I've, as an arborist for 15 plus years, I mean, I'm not ashamed to tell you, I've been, I, I've been in and out of physio my entire career. That's just the nature of the, of the beast. I mean, and not to take anything away from landscapers. I mean, a lot of the masonry work that you guys do, I mean, it's hard on the body. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, uh, so when it, when it comes to the, the use of chainsaws, uh, you know, both rotational kickback and again, just that um, the weight of the saw and the fatigue that can set in. I think those are, uh, you know, those are definitely two very common hazards when it comes to uh, the use of the actual tool itself. So, for sure. For sure. And yeah. we don't have to cover everything, just, you know, some of the, some yeah. of the new things, of course, this is more just to, you know, get people thinking about these things and, and hopefully, um, you know, if they, if they do use them as landscapers looking for, you know, more training for themselves and their, and their employees. So it doesn't right. have to be comprehensive, but uh, no, I appreciate that overview. Um, so with all of that said, you know, why is, and you've touched on this a bit. Um, well, let's start with PPE. Why, why is PPE so important in, in chainsaw use? Um, PPE is something that I always tell my students. It's, uh, I always call it, you know, your last line of defense. Um, you know, it's like, um, I guess sort of think of it as, you know, police officers with their bulletproof vests, if you will. Right. Like, um, I, I mean, I sort of had this mentality too, when I was very young and starting in my career, you know, people, they put on all this PPE and they kind of think they're invincible. Well, that's not, that's not the right way to look at it. Right. That like your PPE is sort of like your last chance. You know what I mean? Like you don't, we don't want our PPE to have to do its job, right? So that's why I really stress on the importance of knowing, understanding how the machine works, um, 
you know, the mechanics and physics of it all, um, you know, the, um, the physics of uh, the material you're putting that saw into. So, of course, you know, uh, the wood, you know, the physics of the wood, compression and tension, understanding all those things, um, that is, um, that all comes before, you know, the whole PPE thing and thinking like, well, I've got my PPE, I'll be fine. Okay. Um, it's your last line of defense. So, um, you know, you look at PPE uh, sort of in, in, in uh, from two different ways. So number one, uh, it's the law. I mean, you know, we can't be showing up to uh, put in a retaining wall on a landscaping job and, you know, everyone's wearing running shoes. You know, it's, it's just simply not legal. We have to have CSA approved uh, uh, work boots, uh, uh, you know, and, um, you know, the, the head protection, the ear protection, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot of components to the PPE we need to have in place for chainsaw use that are just simply law. You have to be wearing it. And, um, so, but aside from it being law, more importantly, yes, it does help protect us should there be, you know, be a mistake. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been knock on wood. I've been pretty fortunate through my career where both myself and I have, I haven't been part of anything too serious when it comes to an incident. Um, but I have had my share of close calls that, um, you know, if my PPE wasn't in place, it could have ended badly. Um, you know, I've taken some pretty good, um, blows to the head from, um, you know, debris from the canopy of a tree, uh, of trees, that sort of thing, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, if I hadn't been wearing my hard hat, I think, uh, you know, it definitely would have been a more, uh, a serious situation, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's your last line of defense, but again, and the thing is with PPE these days too, is the, the variety of PPE that's out there for you know men women um you know uh the sizing options that are out there you know uh, like a lot of these ppe companies have caught on to the fact like okay if our stuff looks good and fits well people are more willing to wear it right so you know there's not really there's not really an excuse out there to say like well that doesn't fit me right or whatever like okay well then find something that fits you right um because other way, uh, otherwise you're just cutting corners and you're really making yourself vulnerable, uh, that much more vulnerable. Um, so, uh, you know, the, pro probably the most important piece of PPE a chainsaw operator should wear, and this is, you know, uh, purely based on the majority of um, incidents that happen out there in terms of what area of the body that... Uh, that these chainsaw operators are becoming injured is um, uh, your uh, your leg protection. So the, whether it be actual chainsaw pants or chaps, uh, which I'm, I'm not sure if you're aware of those protective chaps, um, you know, those are so important because the majority of uh, incidents out there with the saw making contact with the body are from the waist down. Uh, so, and um, that leg protection is, uh, is very important for protecting um, a lot of those uh, vital arteries that are found in the upper portion and in the inside um, area of your legs. So um, uh, I've, I've had, I, I've seen some nasty injuries. 
uh, I've had a couple students. I had one student in my class uh, uh, years ago in particular. Um, he was pretty much missing his entire left kneecap. Um, he's lucky to be walking. Um, so, you know, that, um, that protection, that leg protection and foot protection, you know, from the waist down from that chainsaw, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you're going to wear any piece of PPE, um, it's, uh, it's so important, but then, you know, you're going out into woodlot to fell trees, you know, oh, I got my leg protection. It's like, okay, but you're, you know, if you're not wearing your head protection and all that, like, it's just, it's all so important. And, um, you know, another common neglected piece of PPE with chainsaw use is, uh, is your ear protection. I mean, that's another piece of PPE that is required by law. Um, and uh, uh, even myself, uh, I've been in the industry long enough now where, uh, you know, I'm pretty, uh, I've always been diligent with my ear protection, but I can confidently tell you working around chainsaws and chippers for 15 plus years, my hearing is not <laughs> as good as it once was. And that's even wearing protection. So, um, yeah, it's uh, PPE again, last line of defense, but it is very, very important. And it's simply, it's the law. You need to be wearing it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we've covered a lot of the the points I was hoping to get to today. Is there is there anything that we didn't touch on that you'd like to to make sure to add? Um, yeah, just um, you know, just some general points that I just kind of want want to remind everyone out there. Um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, again, to, to, to briefly go back to the Occupational Health and Safety Act, I mean, I remember seeing these posters on the walls in my high school back in the day, but we're all pretty much, we're all aware of the three rights of the worker, you know, the right to refuse, the right to participate, and the right to know. Um, you know, it is very important. So my point is, you know, a, a message to everyone out there is do what you feel is within your wheelhouse. You know, no one needs to be a hero out there. No one needs to feel macho and, you know, fight over the chainsaw to knock down that giant tree. Okay. Know, know what's within your abilities, right? Uh, know what, know your capability, capabilities, your skill sets. And yeah, just stay within your wheelhouse and don't do anything that makes you feel uncomfortable. Um, there's always... Um, you know, there's always a better or more efficient way to do something. Okay. So I guess that's my big, uh, uh, um, that's a message I just want to relay on to everyone out there is, um, you know, if, uh, if you're, if you're not hundred percent comfortable with it, then just simply don't do it. Um, and, um, you know, it's, uh, it's important to have, um, you know, your wits about you and make sure that there's a good understanding um, amongst your crew. If you're working with a crew, have a good understanding of, uh, of the job and what's required, the hazards that are, uh, that are present. Okay. So, and yeah, just, uh, you know, know when to walk away. Okay. Like I said, there's, uh, there, there's always someone or something out there that can make the job safer, easier, more efficient. And, you know, if you're not comfortable with it, there's no, there, there's, there's, uh, there's no shame in that. So definitely there's still, there's still trees today that I, you know, don't feel comfortable doing. It's, uh, it's, <clears throat> it's one of those things, you know, uh, I, I've been doing this long enough where, yeah, I have no problem walking away from something. If it's, if it's something that I don't think I'm capable of doing and, 
um, you know, everyone on the job site, everyone has to be thumbs up. Everyone has to be comfortable. And um, so, yeah, it's, uh, and I, I know that can be a difficult thing for a lot of, uh, uh, for a lot of employees sometime. Cause you know, it's, they don't want to disappoint the boss or, you know, they don't want to, you know, they don't want to be a burden on the crew kind of thing or whatever, but you know what, if you're working for somebody that doesn't have an understanding of that and can't, and, and doesn't have an appreciation for somebody who um, wants to be safe and, you know, isn't, and somebody that isn't comfortable doing, uh, doing something that they don't feel they're qualified to do or whatever, then you know what, you probably shouldn't be working for that person in the first place. That's the way I see it. I think that's really good advice and, and lots of lots of really, really good advice today. Is there, do you have anything coming up or where can people, um, you know, learn more about what you do and, and maybe even get in contact? Uh, well, actually, I, I'm going to be uh, seeing you guys in uh, April. Um, I usually do one or two courses at your headquarters in Milton there every year. But um, uh I mean, obviously they can find, they, they, they can find me through, uh, through landscape Ontario, but, um, uh, another resource, uh, I mean, they can contact me directly. Obviously you can find me at, um, BPF, uh, safety, um, dot com. And, uh, I do have my own website, so you can find all kinds of information on uh, my program and what I do there. And, um, they can, uh, there, I have a contact page so they can reach me by email or by phone. And um, I also work alongside with a, uh, with a company called Total Rescue, which um, is uh, uh, heavily involved with you guys at Landscape Ontario as well. So um, Landscape Ontario is, or sorry, um, Total Rescue is a, is a company that often, um, who you guys go through to, uh, to get in touch with me to set up a, um, a day of training. So, um, they're another resource as well, and they're, they're based out of Fergus. So, um, yeah, there's a few different avenues you can take to, uh, uh, to get a hold of me. So, but, uh, my website, bpfsafety.com. Perfect. Well, thanks again, Todd. Really appreciate uh, you sharing your insights and, and a bit about your own story too. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much for listening to the Landscape Ontario podcast. Be sure to subscribe to catch a new episode every month.